You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tanglos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. This is a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting in Chicago, Illinois on June 15, 2010. We're here today at the 2010 AMA House of Delegates meeting with Dr. William Golden, Chair of the American College of Physicians Delegation and a Medical Director of Health Policy, Arkansas Medicaid, to discuss coordination of care. Bill, welcome and thanks for being a part of this program. AMDA and American College of Physicians have worked together very well over the years on a number of issues, and we certainly come together on coordination of care, the medical home, and issues related to long-term care and uh, primary care. So let's talk today about ACP and what it's been doing with coordination of care. Sure. You know, I think that we have a problem in this country with how the healthcare system produces value, and there are lots of policy types out there who are dissatisfied, consumers and purchasers. And for that matter, I think uh, patients and their physicians have frustrations with how the system works. So we often don't provide the kinds of services people need for their particular problems. And I think compounding all of this, or really at the root of it all, is that uh, we increasingly need to have chronic care management or the management of patients over the long haul to sustain their health and function in the community. And we have a payment system that basically pays for acute care visits and is a disconnect. So the college and now many other entities such as insurance companies and Medicaid programs have been increasingly looking at how can we build into the scheme of the payment system and other mechanisms ways of rewarding and incentivizing the coordination of care and chronic disease management, both in the office and in the community setting. Now, how does that work out? Well, I mean, let's face it, uh, long-term care has its challenges, and I think patients would like to live in their homes for a longer period of time, but they need support to do that. And I know many Medicaid programs, which pays for the bulk of long-term care, would like to also see people live in their homes as it's probably less expensive and more satisfying than having them in a custodial setting. So uh, clearly, we need to have different kinds of supports, both to physicians and health professionals to work with these patients, but also uh, how to enable these folks to stay in their homes, help with their medications, help with their housekeeping, supports for families, respite care. So it's a long agenda of opportunities that would probably end up with a system that is potentially less expensive, but also more satisfying to lots of the stakeholders. Sure. Well, valuing uh, the services that primary care providers or long-term care professionals give is what we're all about, and we're happy to see those things try to transform. Where do you think the next steps are with coordination of care or the medical home model? Well, yeah, the ACP has been working on two separate but related activities. Uh, One is the medical home model, which I'll talk about shortly, and the other is really a coordination of care activity as well. I'll talk very briefly about the coordination of care. It's not directly about long-term care, but it does affect them. In the Medicare program, tremendous numbers of patients get readmitted within 30 days of discharge. And in fact, if you look at the data, roughly 60% of patients discharged with heart failure get readmitted within six months. This is very expensive and probably less satisfying for the patients. You know, and a classic example would be a patient gets discharged from the hospital on a Friday afternoon, gets sent home, has some confusion about their medications or the family is confused. They call a home health nurse. They pick up the patient they had not seen for a while. They have a 
faded piece of paper that has a list of medications, and they call the primary care physician of the patient on Friday night. Well, the primary care physician says, gee, I didn't know Mrs. Smith had been in the hospital. So I have no idea what she looks like or what happened or what new meds she's on. So they say, what does she look like? Well, she's doing this, she's breathing that. And the doctor then says, well, you know, gee, I, I can't tell you. Better send her to the emergency room. And obviously, that's really not a great setup. It's almost a setup to fail, if you will. So uh, one of the things that the college worked with ABIM Foundation and others, as well as uh, Medicare, was to begin the whole activities of, of how do you organize handoffs? How do you make sure that when somebody leaves your domain of healthcare, the next person understands what they need to be doing? And unfortunately, in this uh, era of siloed healthcare, too many of us believe that once the patient is off our unit, it's out of sight, out of mind. In fact, there have been episodes where the home health agency might call the hospital and say, I want to talk to the hospitalist to take care of Mrs. Jones, and he'd say, well, that's not my problem. Or you couldn't identify who that doctor was. One thing that we've been doing at Arkansas Medicaid, we actually have a pay-for-performance program for hospitals, and one of the components to qualify for this was to change your discharge information program. There are hospitals now that have very nice, I got one from a hospital in Texarkana recently, that had the name of the patient, the name of the doctor who was seeing the patient, the unit they were on, the key tests, the discharge meds, phone number to call. These are kind of core information items that can assist the community-based people or the folks in a nursing home to answer questions without shipping someone back to the ER and perhaps troubleshoot the problems. And, you know, this is, um, I wouldn't use to say rocket science, but it takes some professional responsibility and accountability that you are accountable for that patient until they get settled into their next location. And unfortunately, that's not currently the culture, and I think we have to change that. And, you know, at this particular meeting, the House of Delegates meeting, we're talking a fair amount about uh, not paying for readmissions. The CMS approach to this is the big stick. I think most practitioners and most patients would rather see a proactive program that you've described to stay away from these kinds of problems. Right. And I mean, that's what we've done in our state. We now have a bonus program where if you put this in place, you can qualify for a bonus on your per diem by changing your system. And we have a number of hospitals that are taking on that challenge. And it's not easy to, you know, change your forms and change your procedures, but they're doing it. On the other hand, sometimes some form of a financial penalty can be motivating. So, you know, institutions that are not doing a particularly good job, I I don't think it's a complete non-payment, but I think for hospitals, the value purchasing, I think, was a reduction of the readmission value. And if it went to a different institution, I can tell you there are institutions that send some folks home and don't even know they've been readmitted because they get readmitted somewhere locally. So there needs to be some accountability. Now, granted, some admissions, or quite a few, will be unavoidable. And you have issues of frailty plus the DRG system where people get motivated to go home earlier. In fact, I think that was the article that just came out that showed that over the last 10 years, folks on, with heart failure get discharged quicker, but they have more likely to come back. So, you know, efficiency has two edges to it. Some of it's good and some of it is, uh, has side effects later. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from Reach MD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangelos, and I'm here today at the 2010 AMA House of Delegates meeting with Dr. William Golden, Chair of the American College of Physicians Delegation and Medical Director of Health Policy Arkansas Medicaid to discuss coordination of care. Bill, let's continue on with this discussion. One of the issues is that you've identified as these silos. 
Now, at this meeting, we're all about fee-for-service, and people have argued that you can't really do a great job coordinating this care going across all these different silos, all these different programs in a fee-for-service world. Well, yeah, that, that gets into payment incentives in the medical home. And obviously, to want to coordinate care, there has to be someone to coordinate the care with. So uh, that's the activity we want to have when someone leaves an acute care setting for the, quote, medical home of that patient to be well-informed. And that could be the local physician. It could be the nursing home medical director or the nursing home physician or the nursing home staff. So obviously, you need to have someone to receive the information who is empowered and incentivized to do this. As a primary care physician myself, obviously, a lot of what I do these days is not dependent on the history and physical. I can take care of a lot of folks. I only get paid if the person's in my office But boy, I do a lot of things for these patients that have nothing to do with seeing them face-to-face, which is a hassle for them and sometimes not really necessary for me to help them out. So when you start talking about electronic information and compiling information and coordinating referrals, we really need a better system. Now, the medical home is trying to do that by paying folks or incentivizing the infrastructure in your unit to take on these tasks, to pay for the nurses on the phones, and to basically reward the professional time of physicians and health professionals to take this information and call Mrs. Jones and make sure that things are going correctly. The other thing that some medical home programs like North Carolina Medicaid, you start, and I think it's being referred to now by Bob Doherty, the college, as the medical neighborhood, you have uh, services in place to support the medical home. So the Ed Wagner chronic care model is dependent on, you know, the, the office can do so much and you can have staff in your office, but boy, wouldn't it be nice if even small practices could get their hands on a dietitian or on a, a social worker. So you need community supports to sustain the function of the patient when they don't necessarily have medical problems, but if you don't support that patient, they're going to have medical problems. And then finally, you get into the whole notion of accountable care entities, which is the whole new buzzword, which looks into episodes of care. Now, however you want to define that and how you figure it out, I don't think people know, but I think we're going to be seeing situations where a payer will say to a community, we will, Mrs. Jones and and her husband are in your community, and they have these conditions, and we will pay you X dollars to manage these conditions, and you all figure it out. So you don't need to have seven consults for their six conditions. Maybe four of them can be handled by primary care and the other two by the specialists. And if you all work together, you can reduce hospitalizations or reduce duplication of x-rays. You come out ahead. The Prometheus model, I don't know if you're familiar with that, is a really interesting model and more interesting than the folks up at Dartmouth have. The Dartmouth folks are saying, gee, we ought to look at uh, the historic costs of care and reduce it by 10 or 15%, and that will be your challenge goal. That, unfortunately, benefits people who have been using too much technology and hurts the folks that maybe were slow to adopt. On the other hand, the Prometheus model, they're looking at things such as, well, on average, somebody with this diagnosis and these comorbidities and this age costs this much money. We're going to estimate 10 or 15% of that or 20% of that is avoidable costs by unnecessary ER visits or things you could manage if you were better coordinated. And so what? Well, to make a deal, we will say, if you can manage this, we'll take 10% of the savings, and if you can generate the other 10, you keep it. So you're incentivizing the coordination and doing it based on a case mix or a severity index, which I think is actually very appealing, very intriguing. Well, our nursing home docs have long felt that they are the medical home, and in fact, nursing home has that label right in it. ACP has been very sympathetic and helpful along that regard, 
But at the national debate, this population still doesn't seem to enter into the medical home discussion. Well, you know, and this again, oddball incentives. And as I often say, when things don't make sense, there's usually a good reason for it. And, you know, as a Medicaid program person, we have the weird incentive that we pay for the nursing home care and we pay for the outpatient care on the dual eligibles, but we don't pay for the hospital care. So for us to reduce the hospitalizations of the geriatric population, we end up spending resources that benefits another program. And so when you go to Medicare and say, hey, why don't we do some gain sharing here and maybe your program and our program, we coordinate our incentives, we all come out ahead. So far, Baltimore has not moved forward on this. And so I think there is lost opportunity to incentivize and benefit managers of long-term care. I think a good nursing home program could do enormous benefits for reducing hospitalizations, ER visits, but yet somehow you have to get those two payment silos to um, have incentives to make that happen. And of course, that's even worse when you start to look at where the pharmacy benefit's coming from. You've got A, B, and D, and everything in between, and what day are we on right now, and who's going to pay for the drug? And, and then you lose track of even what drugs they're getting. I mean, in the past, at least, we had a computerized record of what these patients were getting. So now we have uh, diagnoses, but we no longer have the drug data. And I, unfortunately, the PBMs are not sharing the data. Well, coordination of care and the medical home are kind of linked, and we've linked them in terminology with regards to transitions as well. Is there anything else you'd like to say about transitions of care? I mean, some of the models that you've presented are very nice, but anything else? I think it's a great opportunity for medicine, and it's really been a neglected opportunity. I think if the system puts some money in and incentivizes this chronic care coordination, it'll reinvigorate primary care, it'll reinvigorate geriatrics, and benefit patients and their families. So I think it's an opportunity. Anything else? One more thing with regards to ACP at this meeting and what's on its agenda in regard to medical home, transitions of care, and the medical home model. Uh, We're involved with lots of demonstration projects for modeling different payment mechanisms to enhance chronic care management. And we hope that folks in the listening audience will participate and support this as we try to transform the health Well, I would like to thank my guest from the American College of Physicians, Dr. William Golden. Bill, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine and taking time out from the ACP uh, delegation to join us. Good to see you again. You've been listening to a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting in Chicago, Illinois on June 15, 2010. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.